Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. John Bowles had a good job, a steady girlfriend and a love of travel, but it was his deep faith that ultimately changed the course of his life. Roman Catholic priest Father John Bowles will be telling his story on today's programme. Ruth Rice is here again, telling us what the letter T stands for in her alphabet of well-being. There's another packed notice board and there's music I really hope you'll enjoy. Let's start with a richly orchestrated arrangement of a stirring hymn. This is Christ is made the sure foundation, Christ our head and cornerstone.
the Southwestern Oratorio Chorus and Festival Brass, and Christ is Made the Sure Foundation, Christ Our Head and Cornerstone. Well, my guest today has certainly made Christ the sure foundation of his life, as we're about to discover. The Society of St. Columban is an international missionary organisation that's got its roots very firmly in the Roman Catholic Church. But when its priests are out at work, its mission crosses all boundaries of culture and religion to help establish a world of peace with justice and stand in solidarity with poor, exploited and marginalised communities. Basically, it's been said that they go where no one else will go. And that's certainly true of my guest today. Now, going by their title, the Missionary Society of St. Columban, we might think that the society was founded a long, long time ago, St. Columban being a 6th century abbot. But in fact, the society is comparatively young, founded in 1918 in Ireland, specifically to send priests to take Christianity to China. And today we've the perfect person to give us the bigger story of this missionary organisation, as well as something of his own story too. He's Father John Bowles, Director in Britain of the Columban Missionaries, who I had the pleasure of meeting during his very brief visit to the island recently. Thanks, Judith. Uh, funny you should say that about uh, St Columban, because um, right up until the day I joined the society, I was confused. I thought it joined a society called after St. Columba, you know, because the adjective would be the same, you know, Columban. And uh, being in, in Britain, that was the, uh, the Irish missionary saint we were most uh, accustomed to hearing about. The fellow went over from Ireland to uh, Iona. The only reason I found out about uh, Columban, same with an N on the end, was that when I was just signing in on my first date, as a prospective candidate for the Columbans, this uh, priest who was taking the uh, the notes down said, "Hey, you, you were born on uh, our our Saint's feast day." I says, "But I was born 23rd of November." He says, "Yeah, that's Saint Columban's feast day." So I said, "Who was Saint Columban then?" <laughs> So, I mean, uh, um, it, it's a funny name to have. <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, what you're called is less important than what you're actually oh, doing. Yes, yes. Let, before we talk about your work, let's talk about your personal journey. You, you're from Stockport. What drew you to the priesthood, Father? Well, I've got a confession to make to you. I never had any idea of being a priest, let alone a, a missionary priest. You know, I, don't get me wrong, I was always, um, you know, a good card-carrying member of the, the Catholic Church, you know, turning up on uh, Sundays and my heart in the right place, social conscience and all the rest of it, wanting to use the gifts that God had given me for the, the good of humanity. It's just I never thought uh, that that would be through the realm of priesthood. So after I left university, uh, I went into public service and I became a town and country planning officer. Uh, so I was working, uh, you know, vetting um, uh, porch extensions and new garages down in Wolverhampton in the, the West Midlands. But there's always something nagging at me that maybe God wants me to use those gifts in a slightly different way. And I've always had this uh, wanderlust. So I put the two together and I volunteered to go overseas, you see, as a humanitarian worker. And the British Volunteer Programme sent me to um, Nicaragua during the 1980s you see, uh, which was a time of great you know, conflict and uh, oppression and injustice, uh, much the same as Ukraine is now. And Nicaragua was in the midst of uh, what they call the Contra War, 
the left-wing Sandinistas had taken over and Reagan had sent his boot boys in to try and get rid of them. And I was doing refugee relocation work. And it was only there I came in contact with Catholic missionary priests and sisters and committed lay people who were working not only to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, but also to reconcile warring parties and to try and improve the living standards of the poor. So I thought maybe that is what you know, God is asking me to do. But I still wasn't sure. You know, I'm a bit slow on the uptake, I am. So um, I consulted with a missionary priest out there and uh, says, what do you think? And he says, yeah, John, dear, I think you'd be good as a missionary priest. But I said, I know nothing about uh, congregations or societies. Can you suggest one? And he looked at me. This priest looked at me and he says, John, the only bunch as daft as you are are the Columban fathers, who I'd never heard of. So I says, well, what are you calling them, daft for? He says they're like the, uh, the troubleshooters of the Catholic Church. We deliberately seek out areas where, due to reasons of danger or dirt or discomfort or violence, other people can't or won't work. So we actually say in a country, where is your most difficult spot? That's where we want to go. And that's our speciality and has been since our foundation as the Maynooth Mission to China in 1918. So I said, oh, that sounds... I just up my street, that does. Well, I had a few things to sort out because I was going out with a very attractive Nicaraguan girl at the time. And uh, far as the Catholic Church has come over the last few centuries, it's not come that far. So there were a few delicate negotiations that needed to take place. And she was very good and she gave me a year to decide. You see, so I went back to Britain. I got this address of the Columbans. They sent me over to Ireland, went into the seminary for the trial period. And I just felt at home. So I had to tell my girlfriend that, that you know, I, I decided she realised it anyhow. So that's my history. So when I was finally ordained in my own parish in Stockport, 1996, my one and only claim to fame, I was the oldest man the Columban Fathers had ever ordained. The oldest man they'd ever ordained. They'd never ordained a man in his 40s. I was 42. Um, you know, by that time, uh, what, uh, um, uh, 1918, 1996, you know, we're talking about 70-odd years of history. I was the first man in the 40s that ever ordained. You've sacrificed a lot personally to go where you believe God has put you. But also, isn't there a great value to coming to ordain ministry in your 40s? You've had life experience. So yeah. that's a tremendous value, isn't it? It is, it is. Now, although I must demur with your first part of your question, you know, I don't think it's been a sacrifice. Sometimes when I'm going around parishes, people come up and say, oh, Father, we do admire you. It's such a difficult cross to bear and uh, such a sacrifice. It's not been a sacrifice for me. I, I enjoy it. You know, <laughs> I, I do what to do because I like it. Uh, and I always felt at home, you know. So anything I've given up, I've always received almost a hundredfold in this life. That's one of the reasons I think I've been so blessed. I'm not making judgments, but I could not make a decision to come in to the, 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 the priesthood as young as some of my colleagues have done. I now know what the alternatives in my life could have been. So I was able to come into the priesthood, into the mission priesthood, with an easy mind. I've never thought, oh, what if, what if, what if, because I had an idea of what the what ifs were. So I, 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 do, I think there's a tremendous value in men and women coming into uh, religious life uh, later on after they have experience of, uh, of relationships and professional work and living on their own in, in, in society. But also particularly, you've been in really difficult 
areas of conflict and deprivation and poverty, you've got to have something behind you in order to deal with that. Sometimes natural negotiating and diplomacy skills would be needed. You only get those with experience of life, don't you? You don't get them out of a textbook. I was in Nicaragua during the Contra War. Then I went on to Peru, right at the end of the Sendero Luminoso, the Shining Path subversion in the in the 1990s. Since then, I've mainly been in the shanty towns around Lima. Just recently, the society asked me to go and vet one of our missions in China. Actually, our first mission, which was still there, Wuhan, would you believe? <laughs> that was our first mission. We're still there. They wanted me to do a feasibility investigation just before lockdown. And I was in Myanmar just before the coup. So I've been in interesting situations, but I've found my sustenance and support from the people I've been with. Because believe it or not, my role is really easy because you don't have to win people's love and confidence. So where I've been in the shanty towns of Lima, the people there who are very, very affectionate, they just can't believe that somebody from a, a rich developed country could voluntarily go and, and live with them. So they're just so welcoming them. So you're instantly accepted and supported by them. Numerically, there's about 400 of you in, in your organisation, about 200 who are really, like yourself, very active. So do you work a lot through partner organisations in the places that you go to? Oh, yes. Perhaps the best way I can illustrate it is that uh, one of the uh, missionary objectives we took on was to work in, uh, with Pakistani Catholics in Pakistan. Now, you might not realise there are Pakistani Catholics, but there are. I mean, they're only you know, 0.05% of the population, but they're there. Some small ethnic minorities who are able to maintain their Catholic faith from um, parents to children, although they're not allowed to proselytise, you see. But nobody wanted to go and work in Pakistan. So uh, the Vatican thought, who can we send? <laughs> who won't say no? So they came knocking on the Columbans' door. And of course, we said, yeah, that's the sort of thing we, uh, we like doing. So a small group went off to Pakistan. And here in Britain, there's three men who worked out there for many, many years. And most of their work they do is in partnership with Muslim organisations. When you're talking about uh, people of other uh, major world faiths, it's remarkable the degree to which there's more that unites us than divides us. So if, if you're involved in things like human trafficking or control of uh, tuberculosis or uh, exploitation of bonded labourers, you come together with uh, Muslims with a social conscience and you find there's a tremendous amount that binds you. Now, people often fall into the trap of concentrating on what separates us. Well, they shouldn't. It should be always, what have we got in common? And leave to one side what divides us. I mean, I remember growing up in what wasn't uh, the most conservative or traditional Catholic household in South Manchester in the 1950s. But even there, I remember um, the rest of my family talking askance at Protestants, at Anglicans, because uh, they didn't keep the, the Friday fast. You know, they didn't believe that uh, Our Lady was bodily assumed in, in, into heaven and uh, even that, you know, be careful, don't play with, with them. You know, they go to the Prodi school down the road. So this wasn't the media doing this. The media was reflecting what, what, what people's attitudes was. Now, the role of the media, I think, should be to educate rather than to play on the lowest common denominator, the same politicians. 
And unfortunately, what we're suffering from is uh, politicians and a lot of media people, present company accepted, who do pamper to the lowest common denominator and do play on people's worst and most ignorant feelings and thoughts. And that really, really makes me uh, boil with anger. You're absolutely right. It should be to educate. It should be to uplift and to cause us to think and think constructively. Now, you're here on the island to spend a few days going around the Catholic churches and talking about your work. What are the key things that that you're wanting to say to the folk whilst you're here? The first thing is thank you. Organisations like the Cullman Fathers survive through the generous contribution of their benefactors, a lot of whom are not wealthy people. They're just ordinary, and I say that in you know not a disparaging way, unexceptional, but very, very good people, humble people who leave us uh, some money, remember us in, in, in their will, who send us a cheque every now and again. And it's people like that who've, who've um, been able to keep us uh, with our body and soul together over the last hundred odd years. And the Catholic Church, we're very good at saying, please, 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 please. We're not always as good at saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I think the main thing, and again, I'm not just saying this because I'm, I'm on the air. Uh, I do believe it. The first thing is say thank you. you know, you've been really good to us. It's, it's just an opportunity of me to, uh, in person, say thank you to the people. So that's the first thing is, is to say thank you. Second thing is to inform your people don't know about us. They might have a few misconceptions. This day and age, in Romans Catholics, uh, mission sometimes has a bad name. You know, it's been all caught up in the idea of imperialism and imposition of Western culture on, on third world peoples. And of course, what we're doing is, is diametrically opposed to that. We're often defending local cultures against Westernization. you know. So it's, it's informing people of just what our missionary work is. And then, yeah, third in importance is, if you'd like to contribute in the future this is how you can do it but feel under no obligation so i think those are the three things we do in order of importance listening to what you're saying numerically you might not be one of the biggest organizations who are working out there but it also strikes me as that you're you're an organization that makes every penny count that you do live and deliver quite simply would that be the Columbian message that's another um uh, watchword of ours was uh, to try and live simply Living simply rather than living in penury is uh, a good and acceptable way because you've got to be able to be strong enough and fit enough to do your job. So we try and live uh, ecologically, we try to live sustainably, we try to live in partnership, and we've been trying to do this for donkey's years. In fact, one of the uh, the jokes that's been made against us is that, uh, that the Columban fathers were Pope Francis 20 years before Pope Francis. You know, he's catching up with us now. <laughs> the most important quality that you can bring to the people that you're with and the people that you you're with here on the island is the gift of understanding understanding what those people are going through in some of the world's poorest countries and for us here who are in a very different environment understanding what you're doing and what you're needing and uh, father thank you very much indeed for being with us and for talking to us today right you all not to tell thanks very much to you father john bowles director in britain of the columban missionaries and if you'd like to know more about their work there is as you might imagine a website columbans.co.uk
the African-American spiritual Let Us Break Bread Together, sung by the choir of St John the Baptist in Broughton in Lancashire, known affectionately here on the island as the Broughton Boys Choir. Their musical director, John Catterall, and some of his newest young choristers are on the island with us now. And on today's notice board, I've got details of when you can meet them and hear their music. But first, it's time to join Ruth Rice again, as, letter by letter, she shares with us her personal A to Z of well-being. This alphabet grew out of Ruth's own mental breakdown, and whilst it's underpinned by her deep Christian faith, it's offered to everyone in the hope that the tips and coping strategies that she's found helpful might help us too. We've now reached the letter T. T is for table laid. There's something about a table laid up for a meal that I really love. I think I get this from my lovely mum and dad who always really generous. Some of you will have sat around their table and had lovely meals. As children, we remember always having people round on a Sunday particularly. And uh, my dad always likes to have the table laid up. Sorry, dad, but I don't always lay the table. There's sometimes a tray on my knee, but tea is also for tray, so we're all right. But it always makes me think of that lovely psalm, Psalm 23, where it talks about having a table laid before us in the presence of our enemies. I love this idea that that you come across this table that's all spread with beautiful things to eat. And, and that for me is like God's provision for me, God's kindness, God's love. It's all laid out for us. And often in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of the fear that's around us or the panic that's around us or the awful things that are happening around us, right in the middle of that battlefield here, is a table laid before us. One of the images for the Renew Wellbeing Movement is of picnics on a battlefield. I have this sort of picture of of picnic site after picnic site popping up across a battlefield till the whole battlefield became this beautiful picnic site. And I think there's, there's something about having this table prepared for us that is about what God does for us by laying out his love and his beauty for us to tuck into. Tea, table's laid. Thank you, Ruth Rice. And even though next week Ruth will be leading a well-being retreat at Tidevay, Ballawattleworth House in Peel, she'll also have another letter from her alphabet of well-being to share with us here. And now let's finish with a look at our notice board. Today it's harvest time at Abbeylands Chapel with two services today. An afternoon service at three o'clock led by Mrs Elaine Christian and an evening service at half past six with Mrs Marilyn Cannell. Then tomorrow, Monday the 24th, harvest continues at Abbeylands with a short service starting at seven o'clock. And this will be followed by the sale of harvest produce, supper and entertainment. That's harvest at Abbeylands Chapel today and tomorrow night. The Mariners' Choir will be in Ballabeg Methodist Chapel tonight for another combined harvest and mariners' service starting at half past six, at which Reverend Sean Turner will preach. The service will be followed as usual by supper and community hymn singing. We currently welcome two visiting choirs to the island right now, the Liverpool Cathedral Choir and the Broughton Boys' Choir. The Liverpool Cathedral Choir will be in concert in St George's Church here in Douglas this evening at 7 o'clock. Entry is free with a retiring collection in aid of parish funds. 
And as I mentioned a few moments ago, musical director of Broughton Boys Choir, John Catterall, has a group of young choristers and organists here on the island now. It's a smaller group this year and they'll be singing fewer services, but their visit will follow the usual pattern of choir school each morning when the boys will work on their music. Each afternoon they'll be relaxing and enjoying island life and then singing Evensong in various churches. If you live in the Douglas area, there's still time for you to join the choristers in St Thomas's Church, just off the promenade here by the Gaiety Theatre, as they'll be singing this morning's Eucharist there at 11 o'clock. Then this evening, the choristers will travel to Ramsey to sing Evensong in St Paul's Church at half past six. They'll also be singing Evensong on Tuesday the 25th in the Abbey Church in Balasala and on Wednesday the 26th in St Matthew's Church here in Douglas. Both those Evensong services are at 8pm and we wish the Broughton Boys Choir a very happy stay with us. Moving into the week ahead and on Tuesday morning, Sandygate Chapel on Jerby Road will be open between 10 and 12 noon serving tea, coffee, cakes and biscuits, with all proceeds going to support the work of the Salvation Army here on the island. Later this week, it's the annual Fair Trade Sale at the Cool Methodist Hall, from Thursday the 27th to Saturday the 29th of October, open each day from 10am to 6.30pm. The hall can be found just above the entrance to Balakotia Business Park at the Cool Crossroads. Christmas cards, beautiful gifts created by artisans in the developing world and fair trade foods will be on sale. This is a great opportunity to start Christmas shopping and in doing so you can make a difference to many people in the third world by helping to create employment and ensuring they're paid a fair wage for their work. Simple lunches will also be available from noon until 2pm on each of the three days. If you'd like more details, have a word with Margaret Newton on 436-182. St Jude's Church in the parish of Andreas invites you to their traditional harvest festival at 7 o'clock this Friday, October the 28th, with seasonal refreshments to follow. St Jude's famous Soup Day is on November the 5th, and there'll be more about that on next week's notice board. And that's all that we have time for now, but I'll be back tonight at 9 o'clock for sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend, and I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening, and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week, and a very good morning. Thank you.